You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. When we talk about the subject today, it's important to know that, that this is a display of God's purpose of fulfilling his purpose in our life. We're going to talk about something today that is, that is uh, um, potentially divisive. And, um, you know, we, we come from different backgrounds in this room. Some of you come from more conservative backgrounds. Some of you may come from a more spirited background. Uh, different denominations are represented here. And our church is actually part of a denominational family uh, known as Missionary Church. Uh, and you can find that website, mcusa.org, and they are based out of Fort Wayne, Indiana. It's a family of churches that, that has uh, a view of the scripture that we embrace wholly. And uh, we've always had a position of unity in the essential, essentials, liberty in the non-essentials, and charity or an attitude of love in all. The missionary church has a similar position. They, have, they break things into open-handed and closed-handed issues. Uh, Open-handed issues are things that we can discuss, things that we can debate, things that we do not have to divide over. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about some open-handed issues, and we're going to probably have a difference of opinion on some of the things we're going to talk about today, okay? And then uh, uh, Missionary Church has a position that we embrace fully, and that is there are closed-handed issues, issues that are that we hold tightly that are that are not uh, issues that we can compromise on the personhood of Jesus Christ who is God in the flesh who died on the cross for our sins who rose again from the dead and we are saved through faith by his grace by his grace alone not of works lest any man should boast we hold tightly to the return of Christ and uh, but we have open handed on how that might look but hold tightly to the fact that he is coming so we have these these open-handed and closed-handed issues. The Apostle Paul spends three chapters talking about something that is quite controversial. There's only two places in the entire New Testament that talk about the things that we're going to talk about. Uh, The book of Acts, for example, mentions tongues, speaking in tongues, four times in the book of Acts. And then the only other place you're going to find it in the entire Bible is in the chapters that we're going to look at today and next week, all right? So... um, there, is, there are people who have positions on these issues. Remember, these are open-handed issues. And it's our diversity and our backgrounds that bring us a balance, all right? So with that in mind, let's jump into Corinthians chapter 12. We've been working our way through the book uh, or through the letter of Corinthians. Now, it's important to remember that Paul wrote to the Corinthians in Corinth to correct their craziness. That's right. So far, 12 chapters of Circus Church. That's basically what's been going on for the last 12 chapters. In fact, in chapter 11, he says this, verse 17, he says, he says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings, your, when you get together for church, they do more harm than good. He says, man, I, when you get together, it's the worst. I have nothing good to say about them. And in this chapter, chapter seven, uh, sorry, chapter 11, he goes on to talk about how they, they are racially divisive and how they're economically divisive and how they're slushes and get drunk at church events and, and how they live in moral lives. And, and he, he goes on to talk about how they're wandering away from the faith and dishonoring God's name. And then he he gets to the next chapter, which is all part of the same conversation. 
The Bible was not written with chapters and verses. Those were added about 400 years ago by Swedish translators. And then it's just kind of stuck. The Bible was written as letters to be read from beginning to end as much as possible. The conversation continues in this chapter. He says, your gatherings are the worst. He says, you're doing a lot of harm when you get together. He's going to transfer the conversation into a new topic dealing with another issue of their gathering together. And he said, verse 12, sorry, verse 1, chapter 12, now about the gifts of the Spirit. The word gifts is not in the original. He says now about the supernatural things. About the supernatural, he says, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed, or the word is ignorant. And what he's saying, I don't want you to be ignorant anymore. I don't, I, he says, I'm, I'm talking about the circus, the craziness of how your church is looking when you get together. The previous chapters, he was talking about their personal life outside of church. Now he's transferring in chapter 11 and 12 and 13 and 14 into their church life in when they get together. And he says, it is craziness. And he says, when it comes to the supernatural, he says, you're being ignorant. You're being uninformed. I don't want that to happen anymore. Now, I think most of us are ignorant when it comes to spiritual gifts. So what the apostle Paul's about to do is again, he's correcting their craziness and this is what a spiritual gift is. Very simply defined, it is this. A spiritual gift is God fulfilling his mission through his disciples. That's all it is. It begins with God, given by God, for the purpose of God. So when we talk about the spiritual gifts, uh, last week and this week and next week and probably one more week, this whole section is called Gifted in the Messy Grace series. Um, it is really about how God uses his people to accomplish his purpose. So let's take a look at the first six verses. That's all we read last week. It gives us the foundation. Verse 2, chapter 12, it says, uh, verse 1, I don't want you to be ignorant. And then he says, uh, you know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced or led astray to mute idols. That means, he says, now, he says, think about it. Some of you guys were emotionally, experientially led astray by false teaching. You let your emotions, you let your feelings dictate your spirituality. And he says that, that, that's, that's kind of demonic in nature. Don't let your feelings and your emotions be the litmus for true spirituality. We're going to talk about this in a second. He says, therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus, Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Why does he say this? Because he's about to talk about spiritual gifts, and the whole purpose of spiritual gifts are to point to the Lordship of Jesus. All of the gifts that we're about to talk about today are about leading people to submission to the Lordship of Christ. There are different kinds of gifts. The word there is charismata. Everybody say charismata. The word charismata is the spiritual gifts word there. And these are the gifts we're going to talk about today, some of them. Uh, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service. These are ministry gifts. But in all... Um, uh, by the same Lord. And there are different kinds of working or, or these are known as supernatural works, miraculous gifts. But in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So these gifts are from God. They begin with God. They're about God and they're for his 
purpose. Now, last week, we talked about the different types of gifts of God that are mentioned in the Bible. You can see them on the screen. Uh, I suggest you just take a picture. This was last week. I'm not going to review it today. There are these four categories of gifts. There's the mastery gifts, things you're born with, your abilities, your personalities that we can develop, whether you're a Christian or not. They're given to you for God's glory, but we don't always use them for God's glory. And then there's the motivational gifts. These are gifts given when you are born again, only given to believers for the purpose of fulfilling God's mission on the earth. That's what life teams were about this last week. So if you didn't go to life teams this last week, you missed an opportunity to learn about your motivational gifts. And then there's ministry gifts. These are leadership gifts that God gives to those that are called to lead and disciple uh, the churches and to lead in ministry. Uh, and then there's the manifestational gifts. And that's what we're going to talk about today. These are the miraculous demonstrations that God gives at different times for his purpose. Now, taking a look at this lift, mastery gifts you're born with. Motivational gifts, you're reborn and given. It's your second birth in Christ you're given. The ministry gifts, they're given to those in ministry for the purpose of leading the church and making disciples and equipping the body. The last one, and by the way, the first three, when they're given, they're yours to mature and develop in. The last one is never given to keep. The last one is given as needed. The supernatural gifts are not things you can possess. There is God... They're, as, they're given as God needs to determine and to pursue and to fulfill his word. So uh, we're going to get to that. Verse 7 says this. It says, uh, now each one, to each one of you who is a Christian, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. That means for the church, for the body. All of these are for us to be used for his glory. Now I want you to know something. There are six different gift lists in the New Testament. There are 18 plus different spiritual gifts listened. I say 18 plus because people differ on how many exactly they're all based on the language. I want you to know that some of those gifts are still used today. Some of those gifts are still used today, but used differently. And there are some gifts that are not mentioned that God gives that are not in the Bible. Okay? There are infinitely amount of ways. There are millions of ways that God can use us to fulfill his purpose. We're never meant to put God in a box. He does what he wants. There are uncountable scenarios and settings that God can use us to fulfill his purpose. All right. So let's focus in on those gifts of chapter 12, the charismata. All right. Verse eight. These are the lists that he gives here. To one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit to another, the word of knowledge through the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by the same spirit to another, the workings of miracles to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits to another different kinds of tongues to another interpretation of tongues. All of these by the same spirit, a lot of confusion and division is, is on these verses. In fact, again, this is an open-handed discussion today. All right, we have tight-fisted the essentials of Christ, the personhood of Christ, the death, burial, resurrection, salvation through faith, uh, in his grace alone. So we have these essentials, but this today is an open-handed issue. Here's what I ask you today. If you disagree with me, that's okay. 
But I ask that you have a biblical reason, not an opinion or a cultural or traditional reason. That means, well, this is the way I was brought up. Okay, but what's the biblical reason? But this is how I feel about this. This is what I've experienced. This is my opinion. Okay, but what's the biblical validation? It's okay if you disagree. And even if you don't have a biblical reason, I'm, I'm still going to love you. Um, but I want to encourage you it, that we must have a biblical reason. That is the rule uh, or the ruler of sense. That's what we measure all this to, okay? So there are basically four views of these gifts. And the first one is called cessationists. These are people that believe that the gifts have ceased with the death of the last apostle. There are a lot of people that believe signs and wonders, miracles, tongues, all these things, that they stopped. That when, that when the, uh, the apostle John was the last disciple to live and, and die, and uh, that when John died, then, then just kind of they all, all the gifts stopped. And, and there are people that honestly, who I'm going to go to heaven with, you're going to go to heaven with if you're a believer uh, in Jesus Christ, that, that you're going to spend eternity with them, uh, but they believe that, it, that they're over and they're not for today. Uh, maybe that's you. Maybe you're a cessationalist. And then there are the charismatics. They get their name from the word charismata, which is the word spiritual gift in verse 4. Charismatics believe that these gifts are for every generation and should be sought after. A charismatic church believes that these gifts aren't only something that we experience, but something that we should experience every single week, every single time we're together. There are things that should be sought after, things that should be a part of our daily life and a part of our church. Now, the view of the Holy Spirit to a charismatic is a charismatic will say that you can be born again and be saved and not be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that comes at a separate event. And when it does happen, you'll know the charismata. Right? We believe a living way church, so when you're born again, the Holy Spirit moves in. We see this throughout the New Testament, throughout Scripture. But charismatics uh, believe that you can be born again and not be filled with the Spirit. Like, for instance, if you don't experience the charismata, you might be a born-again Christian, but you don't have the Holy Spirit. So they might want to get you to experience or to know or to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're born again, but you're just JV. You're junior varsity. It's time to, you know, graduate into, you know, varsity team Christianity. And that's kind of the, the mindset of a lot of charismatic churches. They believe it's two separate events. They emphasize charismatic gifts. They emphasize blessings. They emphasize prosperity. They emphasize positive confession and faith. Now, most Christian television are charismatics. Most of them are charismatics. And uh, so when you're watching, you're like, it's very prosperity oriented. It's very blessings oriented. And, and it's very, you know, miracles and signs and waters oriented. They're, they're probably most likely charismatic. And uh, the, for some charismatics, contemporary revelations are equal to scripture. So like if someone gets up with a prophetic word and uh, it's, it weighs equally with scripture in some charismatic environments, and that can be unhealthy. The third view is Pentecostal. Pentecostal view of the charismata. And they believe that when you are born again, the Holy Spirit moves in, and the proof that the Holy Spirit is in you is charismata. So the Pentecostals will say, yes, when the Holy Spirit moves in, it's when you're born again, but the evidence of that is you speak in tongues primarily speaking in tongues, the Pentecostals emphasize 
and point to speaking in tongues over all of the charismatic gifts because they believe that is the primary evidence of someone that is truly a Christian. And they emphasize this in their weekly, regular services, camps, events. Uh, it, is, it is a part of every teaching, every foundational, because they believe that that is the evidence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. Why are they called Pentecostals? Well, in the second chapter of Acts, on a Jewish holiday called the Festival of Weeks, also known as the Day of Pentecost, which was a holiday that celebrated the giving of God's word, God gave his spirit to the early church, and in Acts chapter 2, they spoke in tongues. And on that day of Pentecost, uh, Pentecostals believe that now that is the evidence of the Holy Spirit and that every true Christian should or will speak in tongues. Now, I want to give you some, some background on this. Is the Charismatics and Pentecostals are the fastest growing movement in the world. At the rate the Charismatics and Pentecostals are growing in the Christian community, it, it makes all other denominations and people groups just, just minuscule. They grow fast. Uh, they, both Charismatics and Pentecostals emphasize vibrant experiences over teaching. Now, let me explain. It doesn't mean they don't have teaching, but most Pentecostals and Charismatics will say that being in God's presence is more important than preaching. I have never met a Charismatic that didn't believe that. I've ne never met a Pentecostal that didn't believe that. In fact, I've been in many Pentecostal services where there's been a message prepared or teaching prepared, and they'll get up and say, you know what, I just feel like we just need to stay here in his presence and just worship and bypass. I've been in services where there haven't been, where there wasn't preaching for weeks. You know, I've been in, a, in, in Bible schools where they didn't, they didn't teach for days because being in the presence, experiential presence was more important than the teaching, and that's kind of uh, kind of exciting for a lot of people who grew up in dead church. Maybe you grew up in the frozen chosen denominations, you know, where uh, they just there's not exciting. There's, there's they don't you know there's just not much emotion. There's there's no feelings at all. It's very strict and it's orderly, and you can almost predict everything that's happening. And there's repeat. And, and so when you walk into the experience of a charismatic or Pentecostal church, it's like. This is, this is alive. This is exciting. It's very energetic and it's very, God wants us to feel his presence. He wants us to experience his goodness. He wants us to know that he is here. However, sometimes feelings and emotions can be a counterfeit for true spirituality. We cannot grade our spiritual life on experiences. And this is the problem in Corinth is they were doing just that. Full disclosure, I got saved at 13 in Assemblies of God, which is a Pentecostal denomination. I grew up Pentecostal. When Nicole and I became ministers, uh, by the way, we went to a, both of us went to a charismatic Pentecostal Bible college. We also went to Dallas Baptist University, but I went to a Pentecostal Bible college. And for 15, uh, for over 15 years, I was a minister in um, charismatic churches and a pastor uh, for over 10 years in charismatic churches. So I'm speaking from experience. 
I'm speaking from someone who, who, lined him, who lined him up and knocked him down. Shazam, 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 you know. And we had catchers. They had the blankets out. They like, we had people. Who, the usher ministry was, was filled. Half the church was in the usher ministry. They had, you know, towels and garments. And they had, every time someone fell, they had to cover ladies' legs. And it's like, pow, 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 you know. I was... I was in that environment. I used to pray for people in that environment. Used to experience things like that in that environment. I used to teach things that were uh, in that theology wheelhouse. I grew up in that environment. And, and in my notes originally, I had all kinds of examples, but I didn't feel like that would be uh, helpful at all. Uh, I, here's the point. I know both sides of intimately and, and even taught uh, but here's what I've come to understand. I feel like the scripture has balanced me. And as I sought God's view, not my cultural view, not my experience view, but God's view, it, it began to kind of weigh differently on what that looked like, all right? So um, Living Way Church, what are we? Are we cessationists? No. Are we charismatic? Nah. Not really. Are we Pentecostal? No, we are continualist. What is that? That means living way strives, or we strive to have a charismata biblical balance. We're, we're charismata with seatbelts on, or we're charismata with guardrails. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. His side define it. Charismatic gifts or charismatic gifts are given to every generation for the ministry of the kingdom to be practiced according to, circle this, the limits of Scripture. Okay, so this is an open-handed issue. You may not agree on everything we're about to talk about today, but let's do our best to have the attitude of Christ. Don't allow imbalance to guide your opinions. Allow the scripture. Uh, without a biblical view of this, churches can either become cold and spiritless or out of control and crazy and strict. And strange. So what's the balance? Well, let's first define the gifts mentioned in 12, chapter 12, charismata. And now I have have a couple of illustrations to kind of help you I'm going to refer to. There is the two ways to look at the charismata. Uh, there is the flair or the trophy. Now, some of these gifts, people like to say, well, I have this gift, and they put it on their shelf, or they wear it as a medallion or a model uh, or a medal, and they, uh, they say, this is my gift, uh, this is what I've done, uh, I prayed for someone and they were healed, or I, I, I spoke in tongues, and, you know, and they, they have it as a trophy, you know, some kind of letter jacket, you know, and, and then there's this view, the view that, that God says, all right, I have something for you, let me see if I can get this lit. Just kidding, the cap's on. I would not light this inside. <laughs> All right. By the way, I actually lit this in a, when I was a youth pastor. You lit a flare when I, when I was preaching. When you're a youth pastor, you do all kinds of dumb stuff. I did a lot. And uh, I remember I was teaching and I lit that baby on fire. And it's like, like, oh, what have I done? <laughs> and our youth auditorium was pretty good size and it was carpeted. And, and I burned that carpet. Just, there's just spots, just Specks of burnt carpet all over the flare. God, you know, let's take the torch. What have I done? I'm thinking in my head. I'll never do that again. All right. So, what happens is God, is it a trophy or is it a flare? I believe that the gifts of charismata are flare. God says, hey, I have something I want you to do. Here, light it. Now let it burn. Let that light get the attention, not you. Just light it. 
Let it go. That is what the charismata, I believe, gifts are designed for. It's God's way of bringing attention to his purpose, his will, to accomplish his word and his will. It's not ours to keep or to hold. That would be dumb. It's ours to ignite as a vessel as God uses that tool to draw attention to what he is doing. All right? It's not designed to be a trophy that we say, look what we have. It's designed, designed to be a flare that we ignite as a vessel of God to light up a moment. All right, We're going to refer back to this. So what are these flares? Well, the charismata of this are word of wisdom. Word of wisdom. This is a unique ability to timely speak the word of God in important situations according to God's word. Supernatural understanding. This is one of those kind of moments where someone might come to you if you're a Christian and someone says, you know, I, I'm not really sure what to do here. And they, they express something to you and you're like, what do you think? And you just, man, overwhelm. You, you sense the Holy Spirit. And according to God's word, you give a wisdom response that is well beyond your ability. You're like, whoa, man, that was like, I don't know, I was that smart. You're not. <laughs> but God used you to give you wisdom for that person or for that situation, or for your marriage or for your kids. And these, this is gifted biblical answers to be able to distinguish what is a biblical perspective and what is not, a gift of wisdom. Light it, let it drop, let God get the glory, all right? The next is the word of knowledge or a message of knowledge. This is the unique ability to understand and know what God could only be revealed, what could only be revealed supernaturally always backed by scripture and confirmed by the person. For example, there's been times when I've, I, I use Sam as first service, I'll use it again, like where I might say, hey, Sam, I just feel, feel impressed to talk to you about something. And I just, I just really need to ask you something and ask you about this. And you're like, whoa, who told you that? And nobody told me that. I just really felt like God was putting on my heart to just kind of bring this up with you. I mean, that is a word of knowledge. You know, God will periodically use people, other believers, to speak a word that, that you never told. You haven't told anybody. Who told you that? Nobody, nobody told me that. I just really feel this is how my heart to share this with you. Sometimes when I'm preaching, some people will come up and say, man, how did you know? Who told you that was going on in my life? Nobody told me. I'm just giving God's word. And sometimes while I'm speaking, God will use this moment to give a word of knowledge into your life. This is the gift of the word of knowledge. And by the way, if either one, the word of wisdom or the word of knowledge modifies or contradicts God's already revealed word, it isn't from God because his truth does not change. All right, we're gonna come back to that in a minute. Here's the next gift, the gift of faith. Gift of faith, charismatic faith. This is not the faith that is like, you know, you give your life to Jesus and I have faith that he died on, my cross, on the cross. This is the unique ability to trust God and encourage others regardless of the circumstance, to have a great spiritual confidence of a situation. This is what James calls the prayer of faith. This is visionized. This is special faith. This is, this is what missionaries walk out every day as they have no money, no food, no provisions, but they know, they just know with, they have the peace that surpasses understanding. They have full faith that God is taking care of them. Boom. It shows up without fail, without fail. That is a gift of faith. 
You know, sometimes when I'm praying with people about a job, you know, like, hey, I just need a, a job, so I'll pray. And I'm like, God, just uh, open the doors of opportunity for them and just meet their need and, you know, and give them favor at their interview. And, and then sometimes I'm, I'm praying, I, man, the Spirit of God just moves on my heart. And I pray with such a measure of faith. Maybe you've been a recipient of this. Sometimes after the prayer, I'll go, you're going to have a job in two weeks. What? How do I know? I just, I just have faith. I just know. I don't always pray like this at this moment. And like, hey, will you pray like that with me? Hey, it's not something I possess. It's something that God uses to fulfill his purpose, to encourage his people. And there's different times when God will use, use us to do those sort of things. That's a supernatural ability regardless of the circumstance. Here's the next one. Everybody loves this one. It's the gift of healing. It's the unique ability to be a vessel of God's powers to see the sick recover. Like faith, this person has moments of great assurance to see healing. This is by God's power, not their power. This is moments of prayer of healing. For example, I prayed for those that say, God, you know, if it's your will to heal them, God, I know you're able. I pray that you would do that. And then there are some times where I just feel moved by the Holy Spirit. I'm saying, God, God, I'm just believing. And I know, God, that right now you're going to touch them. You're going to heal them. And they're going to rise. And they're going to live. And, and there's, that, that's not all the time. You're like, man, why can't you pray like that all the time? Because... That's the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what he does to serve his purposes. I, I don't possess it. I don't, you know, you might pray for someone to be healed and they may be healed, but you don't have the gift of healing. Remember, the, these gifts are not yours to possess. There is God gives in moments of need to testify of his purpose and word, all right? So a lot of times we think, well, I, I prayed and so now I'm a healer. No, God just used you at that moment to do a work, all right? And then there's the gift of miracles, signs and wonders. The word there is dynamias, which means dynamite. It means, it means acts of power, all right? This is the unique ability to call on God to do supernatural acts of God to testify of God and his word. These are when God overrides the laws of nature. Now, God can use a doctor. God can use, uh, but that's not a miracle. That is, that is maybe a modern-day miracle, but this is defying the laws of nature. This is, there's no way that this can be explained. There's, this, it's a phenomenon. It's supernatural. That's a miracle. All right, and these do happen, and these are moments of prayer, moments of belief, moments of faith, where you know that God can do and provide and show up in the miraculous. And these are, again, not things that we put on a shelf and like, I'm a miracle worker. These are things that God uses at his discretion for errors when it comes to miracles, healing, signs, and wonders. I want you to write these down or take a picture of them up on the screen. This is just an override. First error is this, the people who promote miracles to exalt themselves for ministry are false teachers. The Bible says this exhaustively through the Old and New Testament. If someone has a healing ministry, run away. All right? I'm serious. Because the Bible says that these gifts are not to be possessed or owned. And the Bible even said, man, the Bible's filled with false prophets and people supposedly of God who used miracles and signs and wonders for a living. In fact, the Bible says that if any miracle worker or a prophet or anybody gets financial gain over this charismatic gift that is used, then they are a false teacher and a false prophet. 
Again, experience and feelings cannot dictate true spirituality. Okay, so those that promote themselves through a miracle ministry or, you know, travel. Here's the next one, error number two. People who chase signs and wonders and miracles, Jesus says, are wicked. So look, maybe you've known somebody. I, I used to know in the charismatic Pentecostal community that I used to be in and grow up, there were people that were, they would travel all over the country to go to this miracle service, go to this healing service, go to this miracle event. And they would travel all over. Like, man, I just got to go where the Holy Spirit's at. Listen, hey, listen, the Holy Spirit's in you. You don't have to travel to, to California. You don't have to go to Bethlehem. You don't have to go to Jerusalem. He sits on the throne of your heart. Jesus does, and he gives you the Holy Spirit. And these gifts are available to you right now. You don't have to travel. And Jesus says it this way in Luke 11. It says, as the crowds increase, Jesus says, this is a wicked generation. For it asks for miraculous signs. Listen, the disciples never chased or follow Jesus because of miracles and signs and wonders. In fact, like say the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, they didn't say, hey, Jesus, here's, here's some loaves and fish. Do your miracle thing. Multiply. Do what you did at the Canaan miracle. Do what you did last time. You know, feed everybody. No, you know what they say? They say, hey, Jesus, it's getting late. This is all we got. Send everybody home to go get their own meal. Jesus says, what do you got? I'll, I'll take care of it. Boom, miracle. They didn't follow. They didn't chase. They didn't seek. In fact, we find this. People who expect a miracle in order to believe Jesus or God is real is someone who would probably never say yes to Jesus. If you're saying, God, I'll believe in you if you'll just do this for me. If you'll just start my car, right? If you'll just let me get this job. God, if you'll just heal my marriage, I'll believe. God, if you'll just pay this bill. And guess what? He might pay the bill and you still don't believe. Because people who seek a miracle are people who don't seek the face of God. They're seeking the hands of God. And this is what Jesus said, John 12, 37. He says, after Jesus performed many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. Miracles and signs and wonders do not prove God. They testify of God. Big difference. People who seek miracles to prove the legitimacy of God will probably never surrender to God because of a miracle. It's only through the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life that causes them to say, yes, Jesus, you are Lord. The purpose of miracles is not to prove to non-Christians that God is real. Truth is uh, will is sometimes seen and even heard and still not believed. So Error number four is that people who think they're guaranteed healing and miracles are misled. There are my brothers in my Pentecostals and charismatic churches, friends of mine, who believe that you're guaranteed a miracle, that you're guaranteed if you confess it, you will possess it. If you blab it, you can grab it. You know, if, if you just have enough faith, if you just have enough positive confession, you know, I'm a cancer survivor and I did these video blogs and one of the most controversial videos that I did was the video called I Have Cancer. All my charismatic friends, how can you say that you have cancer? You're bringing curses onto your life. How can I ever know I have a miracle if I don't ever confess my need? It's like... It, it, Positive confession only makes you feel better, but it doesn't testify of the goodness or the spirituality of God. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being a positive person. That's a great thing. Don't be negative. Don't be a Debbie Downer, right? But positive confession is not testimony or presence or bringing the presence of God. In fact, Paul, man, the guy had miracles following him. 
He would send handkerchiefs to churches and people would get healed. He would be walking, people would walk through his shadow and people would be healed. But yet when he prayed for his own sickness to be healed, he prayed three times and it didn't happen. There are times throughout his letters where he, instead of praying for someone, he says, hey, Timothy, I know you have an upset stomach. I know I prayed and it hasn't happened, but he said, hey, why don't you take a little wine to calm your stomach? He gave him a prescription. Because sometimes there's a miracle and sometimes there's not. You're not guaranteed a miracle. So if you are one of those type of people that believe, well, Jesus died on the cross and we are guaranteed a miracle, let me tell you something. Last I checked, every person who's ever lived died. And even the person who walks the stage at a miracle revival and gets healed, they're going to die one day. And it's either going to be a tragic, sudden event or it's going to be a slow sickness that ultimately takes our life in old age. We all will die. Any miracle that we have now is a snapshot. It's a Polaroid of what's to come. Jesus came the first time to save us spiritually. He's coming a second time to save us physically. That's when we get our new body. That's when the resurrection happens. That's when sickness is finally done away with, when death will finally lose its sting. So any healings and miracles we have now are just like a glimpse, just a glimpse, just a little Polaroid, a cheap Polaroid, Shake it like a Polaroid picture, just a slight, you know, fuzzy picture of what is to come, all right? So, by the way, it's called supernatural. That means it's not normal. In the 30 years of the book of Acts, only 18 miracles are recorded in the entire book of Acts. And in 30 years of the book of Acts, only four times is tongues even talked about as something that happened. So these things are not normal. They are super normal. They're supernatural, all right? So it's not to say they don't happen. Remember, we're continuous with biblical scriptural limits, not based on a cultural or tradition background, okay? Here's the next one, prophecy. Uh, the unique ability to speak a word from God or a now word in a particular situation Powerful word from God according to his revealed word. Sometimes foretelling, mostly it's forthtelling. Always confirmed by scripture. Everybody say always. Always confirmed by scripture. Uh, a prophet is mentioned in four different ways in the Bible. There is the motivational gift of prophet. That is someone who has a strong personality, kind of bold, in your face, you know, don't back down, black or white, no gray. Man, they're just abrasive. The prophet personality, that's not this gift. That is a personality gift. And then there is uh, the ministry role mentioned in Ephesians 5, which is more of a preaching role. And I'll talk about that in a second. And then there's the manifestational gift, the charismata mentioned here, which comes and goes as God determines and uses to fulfill his will. In the Old Testament, there's a fourth, and that is a office of a seer or a, someone who, who was a prophet. Now, in the Old Testament, Jesus hadn't come, and there was no access to God except through a prophet. And so God relied on these Old Testament prophets to reveal his word. They were the mouthpiece of God. But today, 
through the blood of Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you have access to the very throne of God as a Christian today. You don't need a prophet to come to you. You don't need to go and see a prophet. You have, through the Holy Spirit, the ability to hear God's word and to test it to his word. All right. So the role in the New Testament is different than the role in the Old Testament. The problem with my charismatic Pentecostal friends is that they define the prophet based upon Old Testament definitions as a seer, as a fortune teller almost, as someone who speaks the future, which by the way, 95% of the Old Testament prophets did not speak the future. They spoke a now word. This is what's happening now. And this is what's going to happen if you don't change now. So this is, it was almost, it was almost always forthtelling, less foretelling. What is prophet in the New Testament? It's this. Uh, there are three references to it in the New Testament. It's not the same role as the Old Testament prophet. Uh, the OT prophet is not needed anymore because of the Holy Spirit, but it does function differently. And it is mentioned as a charismatic gift, as a now word, as one who proclaims. Um, look at this. In the majority of the New Testament, it's referred to a preaching, teaching ministry. Like, for instance, someone who gets up front and boldly proclaims without compromise the, the harsh realities of the word of truth. And that is the majority of the time when the prophet is mentioned in the New Testament, that is what he's doing. There is a very limited time which referred to a revelation of a future event or a word from God to an individual. There's, there's only a couple mentions of that in the New Testament. Almost the majority of the time, it's someone who's preaching. And in the times when it's not, like for instance, in Acts 21, a couple of Paul's friends in Ephesus, he was saying goodbye to them. And they're like, don't go to Jerusalem. They're gonna arrest you. And it's gonna, they're gonna take you to Rome and you're gonna go to prison. But God put it on Paul's heart to still go ahead and go to Jerusalem where he got arrested and they took him to prison in Rome. They told him what was going to happen. But ultimately, it doesn't matter what someone says. You have to follow what God is telling you to do. All right? Because him actually getting arrested was part of God's plan to get him to Rome. All right? All expense paid trip. It was like, yeah, it was beautiful how God did that. So a word from others does not override God's word to you ever. All right? So... There's a, the next gift is discernment. And this is unique ability to determine if a message, person, or situation is of God or not. Moments of clarity concerning unseen spiritual activity. Sometimes maybe you walk into a room, you're like, man, I sense, man, there's something going on here. If you're walking in the spirit, if you're, if you're a believer, sometimes you might walk into a room and go, you know, I really sense, like there's, there's a, a dark presence here. I don't know what it is. I'm just feeling something heavy here. Or maybe you walk in, you're like, man, I really sense the power of God. I really sense God's presence here. You know, this is discerning of spirits. This is, this is the unique ability by God to discern between good and evil, truth and lies. The devil is a liar. Jesus is the truth. We are filled with the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who can define to us what is the truth. This is what John said, the apostle in 1 John 4, 1, he says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, every teacher, every experience, every service, every teaching, every culture, every church. Don't believe, but test the spirits, the church, the culture, the experience, uh, the background, the traditions to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By the way, this is interesting. Of all the places where prophets are mentioned in the New Testament, 
90% of the time, it's in reference to false prophets. All right? So there's, there's a lot of false prophets out there. And then here's the, the last one. By the way, discernment is needed for all of these gifts, unless they are abused and battled over. And the last gift that is mentioned charismata is tongues and interpretation of tongues. And this is a unique ability to speak or understand a language unknown to you that you have not learned. Often considered the most bizarre of the charismata, and he has a whole chapter about it. And next week is the week to bring your friends because we're talking about speaking in tongues all service. <laughs> it's like... Now, actually, every week is a great week to bring your friends because when the word of God makes sense, it illuminates the spirit in our hearts. So you don't ever have to be afraid. Ah, oh, tongues, that's not the week. Now, it might be the week when they really understand how to understand God's word, okay? So let's wrap up with a couple of things real fast. We're running late today. We had a lot with the graduates and stuff, and, but uh, stick with me. Um, the charismatic truth. Here's a couple things to walk away with. What do we do with this? Well, first of all, I want you to know they are not about ownership, but about stewardship. These are not permanent. These are not trophies. You're not, God doesn't say, all right, hey, Zeke, here, man, you get the gift of prophecy. All right, thanks. That's yours to keep. You're a prophet now. Everybody, Zeke the prophet, if you need a word from God, line up right here. He's going to, oh, wait a minute. You're not going to be here next weekend. Sorry, he's traveling. He's going to go out and take this gift of prophecy to other churches. The prophet's coming. The prophet's, no, that's not, that's not. Thank you. I'll take that back. <laughs> All right. These are not gifts of ownership. These are gifts of stewardship that we are to light, ignite, and drop and let God's word be illuminated in that moment. And there's times when that light of that gift is even gone, all right? And God will use it maybe another time in you or maybe not in you, all right? 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 12, 11 says, these are all, these gifts are all the work of the same spirit and he gives them to each one as he determines. Just as he determines, not as we demand. We can't, we can't say, I want the gift of healing and I'm gonna pray for it and I'm gonna believe it, I'm gonna have it. I want tongues and I'm gonna speak in tongues. I wanna, you know, everybody, you know, let's do this. We're gonna line up everybody in this room. You can't do that. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in this chapter and in the next, not everyone will speak in tongues. But yet there are churches in the Pentecostal charismatic community that I am fully familiar with as one who came out of that community that will tell you everyone should, everyone will, and a true believer should want it. Don't be confused. The Bible must be the measure. Hebrews 2.4 says, God also testifies to it by signs, wonders, and miracles, various miracles, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed. That means given to each person according to his will. Okay? Number two, charismatic truth. They are not reliable markers of a Christian. Just because someone gives you a word, quote, from God, or can tell what, they, what perceives to be a future, or does some kind of miracle in front of you, that does not mean there are false signs. There are false miracles. There are fakes who are charlatans, and then there are false prophets who are motivated by the Spirit. And then there are people who are just emotionally engaged in an environment, and they're just kind of tricked into believing that their emotions are validation for their spirituality. We must be careful. God uses our emotions, but they're not the validation, okay? And this is what Jesus says. Matthew 24, 24, he says, false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even 
the elect. Apostle Paul writes to the church in Thessalonia, chapter 2, verse 9 of 2 Thessalonians, he says, this man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and wonders. A prophet, a preacher, a psychic, or a person who claims to have power may not know God. True evidence of the Holy Spirit is this, this person leading and pointing to the personhood and lordship of Jesus Christ. That's why he starts this chapter with, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. And in the same way, only the Spirit will proclaim Jesus is Lord and the personhood of Christ. So there are, they're not reliable for the markers of a Christian. And number three, the charismata uh, will not contradict Jesus ever. I say ever. Never, ever, 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 ever will an experience outweigh the scripture. I grew up in a Pentecostal charismatic environment and I would ask people, what's more valid, an experience or the scripture? And it would blow my mind how many would say, well, the experience, because it's real. I felt it, I sensed it. But if the experience contradicts the scripture, they need to rearrange their experience to align with scripture. Maybe it was not the spirit if it contradicts the scripture. Maybe it was emotions or feelings or maybe it was fake or maybe it was demonic. We must weigh it to scripture. We'll never, ever contradict Jesus or the revealed words of God. If they deny good biblical theology, they are a false teacher should all be weighed. You know, there, uh, I've, I've experienced a lot of craziness in churches. I know we're running late, but, um, you know, in the charismatic community, there's like phases, like where there's fads that come through the church. And there was a time where there was like gold dust was the thing. It's still kind of out in some charismatic churches where it's glitter, you know, where they would walk out glistening like twilight vampires, you know, like the spirit of God was here. They're in the sun, ah. <laughs> but they're glittering, uh, they're, they're shimmering, they're shining. And it's like, and, and like that was the sign that God was there. It's like glitter everywhere, man, glory to God. And it turned out, uh, they, they did a microscopic, uh, you know, research on what a lot of this glitter, it's plastic. Um, God was pouring out plastic. No, it turned also out that a lot of these preachers would have glitter in their pockets and they were, or somebody in the crowd, somebody in the church was started this fad and, and glitter gets everywhere. It doesn't take much. It just takes a little bit and it's on everybody and everything. And it, and we were also, when we were Bible college, there was a phase of, of gold fillings in teeth. You remember that? But people were like, it's a miracle. I have a gold filling. How do, why didn't God just give you a tooth? <laughs> it's like, it was like saying, my arm's broken. God gave me a cast. Look at this. <laughs> Some of them were just crazy stuff. But we, we have these kind of, these fads that sometimes we would go to churches and people would be like, arr, 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 howling like dogs. And ooh, the line of Judah is coming over me. Rawr, rawr. And they would roar like lions and bark like dogs. There was a phase where there was holy laughter and a, the guy would just wave his arms and people were like, <laughs> it would turn into like just nonstop laughter for hours and hours and people would leave just laughing and like wrecking their cars and stuff. And it was like, ah, the Holy Spirit's so good. Ah. <laughs> There's a lot of strange, weird stuff. It's got to be measured. First Corinthians 14, Paul says, everything must be done decently and in order. 
And if the experience overrides the scripture, there's a problem with your experience. It doesn't matter how real it feels. All right? Here's another thing. Number four, they're not signs of maturity. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says to this church, he says, man, you guys don't lack any spiritual gift. But then in chapter 3, he says, man, you guys are like a bunch of immature babies who are not walking in the spirit. You might display these gifts, but you're very immature. You know what the evidence of the spirit is? It's not tongues. It's not miracles and signs and wonders. It's found in Galatians 5, the evidence or the fruit of someone filled with the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, mercy. These are the, these are the evidence of the fruit, what drops off of those grounded in Christ, filled with the spirit. Number five, uh, they're not given to only ministers and leaders. They're not just given to the elite. You know, I talk about stories about where God used me and stuff. You know what? They're not given to just the leaders. They're not given to, to just the, uh, you know, the pastor. You know, they're given to you. You tomorrow can, can give a word of, of wisdom to someone if the Spirit moves on you. you. You can pray for that coworker. And if the Spirit of God comes over you, be a vessel, a tool to ignite that flare and, and see God work a miracle in their life. God can use you. He, in fact, you're like, well, that's not part of my makeup. That's not part of my personality. That's not natural for me. Exactly. It's super natural. That's charismata. That's what God does. In spite of our personalities and natural abilities, they're not natural. It's God working in spite of us. Here's the next thing is that they're not, uh, they're not the same in importance. Unlike all the other gifts that we look like, you know, the master gift, the motivational gifts, the ministry gifts, uh, we're all equal regardless of our gift, except in this category. In this category, some of the gifts are more important than others. And Paul says so. Look what he says in chapter 12. He says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. We're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, First, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers. All of those are gifts that proclaim God's word. And then miracles and gifts of healing. These are all gifts that testify of God's word. And then of helping and of guidance. These are gifts that serve God's word. And different kinds of tongues. Last on the list. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Church leaders. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have the gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. Not everyone will. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And then he says, and yet I'm going to show you something that's even more excellent than that, which is chapter 13, which is the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind, love is gentle. Smack dab in the middle of three chapters about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts gone haywire, love. Spiritual gifts gone haywire. It's all meant to proclaim God's glory and his love for us. First Corinthians 14, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues, maybe the more than some of you. But in the church gathering, when we get together, Paul says, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Verse 39, therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. That means intelligible, clear words from God. And do not forbid, however, the lesser gift of speaking in tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. We should desire the intelligible gifts. More on this next week, okay? And uh, the greatest of all these is love. And we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks as well. Here's the last thing. 
We're not to seek the supernatural gifts. We are to seek his love. Number seven, there's not, uh, they are not something to fear. This is it. We're going to end with this. This is all weird and stuff that we're talking about. This is nothing to be afraid of. First Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and of a sound mind. The same spirit gives us power, love, a sound mind. He does not give us fear. You don't have to be afraid of the spirit of God. Churches split over this. People leave over this. And in some cases they should because it's the flesh or fake. For some, it's a stretch of faith just to believe that God might do something like this in your life. Here's the ultimate gift and the greatest miracle of all. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the greatest miracle. It's the greatest gift. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much, Lord, for your relevance to our life today. God, I thank you, Lord, that you are currently here and working in our life, in our midst. God, I believe, um, Lord, that maybe there's someone here that has never bowed the knee to Christ, and this is the day to get the, to receive the greatest miracle and to be a participant of the greatest miracle in the universe, the miracle of salvation, where God can turn a dark, hard heart into a soft child of, of God, the son of light. God, I thank you, Lord, that even now, if that's you today and you need that miracle of salvation, will you just say yes to Jesus right now? And in your own words, say, Jesus, here's my life. I turn to you right now, dear God. In your own words, say, God, forgive me of my sin. Thank you for the cross. God, you are alive today. Come live in me. Fill me with your spirit and show me how to walk with you. Thank you for your strength and power that you might use me to fulfill your mission on this earth. In Jesus' name. God, there's Christians here today, Lord, who... God, you desire to work in their life through these charismata. I pray that they would not be afraid of them, Lord. Because God, they, they might just testify of your word tomorrow through one of them. God, I thank you that you're still using us in unexpected ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.